Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Unfounded Podcast. This episode and the next episode is going to be about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So we were lucky enough to have on board Andrea Benevenuti, who kind of explained to us why Russia invaded Ukraine, what the motivations were, and how this is going to continue to have an impact on Europe and the rest of the world. Andrea has been studying the Russia, Ukraine, Soviet Union and European Union dynamic for a really long time. So he had some really nuanced insights on not only the relationship between Russia and Ukraine, but also a really good understanding of how that dynamic is likely to affect the rest of the world in the coming future. For this episode, though, we're going to be focusing specifically a little bit more on Russia and Ukraine and talk about NATO and what NATO countries are, just so we can get a bit of a better understanding about the specific workings of that invasion. And then in the next episode, we're going to zoom out a bit more and talk about the European Union and the rest of the globe and how it's been impacted by this incident. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode and see you on the other side. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on the Unfounded podcast with us to discuss Russia and Ukraine. Thank you, Mega. Good to talk to you and thanks for inviting me today. Of course. It's always amazing to have academics like you and get that insight. Um, To kind of kickstart, I want to ask a really broad question and that's just generally why did Russia invade Ukraine and what Russia's motivations were in doing that? That's a very interesting question, Mega, because of course, um, different there are different uh, explanations for um, Russia's action in Ukraine. Of course, if we had access to um, the decisions uh, made by Putin and the Russian National Security Council, of course, we would be able to to have a greater degree of precision on uh, on why Russia decided to to take this course of actions. Yeah. I, th- I think the way to explain it is to rely on uh, threads of evidence that are out there. And, um, and so let me start first with um, the explanation that the Russian government has given for uh, its actions in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And um, the the key reasons that they've given is that essentially they were planning to denazify Ukraine, um, implying that of course uh, the Ukrainian government or uh, significant elements within within Ukraine are right right wingers and they, um, which is in a sense a um, a complete distortion of the reality because there's no. There, there are small uh, right-wing fringes in uh, in uh, in Ukraine, but nonetheless, Ukraine is by and large a democracy. Is um, it's an imperf- imperfect one, and of course, there are just small fringes. Uh, uh, we are we are talking in 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 terms of two or three percent of of people just. Um, holding extreme right-wing views. And to be honest with you, um, Ukraine doesn't really stand out as an exception. I think even in more established Western democracy nowadays, there are just a small fraction of the electorate 
um, holding such such views. So that was a very much a spurious reasons. Um, I think the real reason is um, is essentially that over the past fifteen years, Russia has come to the conclusion that Ukraine was slipping out of Russia's control and, and sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. They fear they come to the conclusion that um, Ukraine was slowly but surely um, shifting towards the West and uh, tilting towards the West. And uh, and therefore, um, the Russian government believed that that could not be, um, could not happen. So, um, and that was, I think, the, the main reasons why Putin decided to, to, um, to put, put a stop to this process that had been in the making for a number of years and, uh, and decide to take action be- before actually um, Ukraine would move more decisive, decisively uh, towards, towards the West. And I can be more specific on this if you like, but I would uh, stop at this. Just this is basically the b- the basic reason. Mm-hmm. I think uh, perhaps I could also add um, the fact that um, Putin has been uh, has been um, how to put it, he's been developing this concept, this vision of um, post for post Soviet Russia, which is. Uh, Russia playing a significant role in international affairs, regaining influence and status after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and also to reassert influence over what the Russians call the near abroad or the post-Soviet space. Therefore, they argue, well, if, for instance, Latin America has always been within the sphere of American influence, why we can't have our own sphere of influence over what they used to be Soviet republics. Because if you remember, at the time of the the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, 15 republics uh, broke away from the, the Soviet Union itself, one of which was the Russian Federation itself. So the idea that Putin has been entertaining is to try to regain influence as much as possible on the other 14 republics that uh, until 1991 were part of the Soviet Union. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. So it's pretty much an attempt to sort of preserve the countries who were previously in the Soviet Union from Western ideologies being inflicted upon them, and also to ensure that they do not adopt those ideologies as they seem to have been the past couple of years? Does that sort of... That's one way of of putting it. It's not so much for the West to impose an ideology on on these countries. It's more for these countries embracing uh, a different lifestyle and a different also political system because and that I guess I'm glad that you're raising this point because that allows me to expand on um, on your original question and to give you a fuller quest a fuller answer as mm-hmm. a matter of fact 
because also one of the reasons why uh, Russia has decided to, one of the reasons that Russia has brought up to justify uh, uh, its actions, of, of course, the first reason was uh, denazifying Ukraine, allegedly. But the second reason was to um, also to put a stop at uh, Ukraine, Ukraine increasing um, tilt towards the West. And also possibly um, the risk of Ukraine joining NATO far down the line. And of course, Russia has uh, often spoken of NATO extending to the borders of, of Russia, almost as if, of course, NATO has, has, has uh, a, um, an intent or the will to pose a threat to um to russia which of course is 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 not the case from my point of view but but mm -hmm. essentially when they talk about nato expanding into eastern europe as if for some reason nato has bellicose or warmongering objectives and tries to threaten russia what is often forgotten, uh, of course, deliberately so in, 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 in the Russian line of arguing, mm -hmm. is that we are talking about fully independent countries, uh, democracies, decides to chart their own future in international affairs and decide to adopt their own economic um, systems, uh, to run, you know, their own um, their own economies the way they want, and of course, most of the current um, a number of countries in Eastern Europe. I could mention a few, from Poland to Bulgaria, from Romania to uh, Slovakia, uh, Czech Republic, but also the the former Soviet republics in. Uh, in the Baltics, uh, in the Baltic Sea, for instance, Lithuania, mm -hmm. Latvia, and Estonia, all these countries have decided to join NATO, but also to join the European Union as independent entities. No one forced them to to join NATO, the European Union. In fact, they went through, particularly to join the European Union, you have to go through lengthy and excruciating. And negotiations. Mm -hmm. uh, NATO negotiations to enter, ent, enter NATO are not, um, they are more straightforward, but sometimes they are complex as well, depending on the nature of the country, right. the knocks on NATO doors. For instance, to give you an example, if Sweden and, and Finland, who have applied for NATO mem membership recently, uh, with, when they start the negotiations with NATO, probably their entry will be pretty straightforward, um, Turkey permitting, because these countries, in terms of weapon systems, in terms of the way their armies are structured, are already compatible. So it's for NATO would be a pretty straightforward decision to have this country in because they don't have to standardize the armaments with NATO. And even if they have, to some extent, the process will be pretty short and could be carried out over a number of small number of years. Yep. So to, to cut a long story short, all these countries have, have, have joined the European Union and NATO. NATO, because, of course, they don't trust Russia. 
and the European Union because they want to be part of an integrated market that over the years has, has delivered economic prosperity and also ensured uh, democratic freedoms. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so what Russia sees it, or rather the current regime in Russia sees it, is these countries, one by one, far from entertaining the idea of reinforcing, strengthening links with Moscow, they've gone the other way. So they've just decided that, well, their future lies not linking up with an authoritarian regime, but actually um, being able to enjoy the very same freedoms, the very same economic opportunities that, for instance, we enjoy here in Australia, but also that um, the Poles, Bulgarians, um, and others enjoy within the European Union in their own countries. Of course, these countries haven't yet the same level of uh, with the Australia is in terms of um, uh, personal incomes and so on and so forth. But if you look back at the last 30 years, the trajectory has been quite significant. Mm -hmm. So to cut a long story short, it's not so much, the question is not so much Russia fearing that these countries would be um, imposed a Western ideology on them is rather that this country willingly and independently, they just want to embrace a different lifestyle, mm -hmm. as well as having certain guarantees that Russia will not invade. And I think to give you la uh, one last, to make a last point, and then I really shut up and take your <laughs> next question, is one could easily argue that the reason why Ukraine has been invaded is because NATO, Ukraine is not part of NATO. Mm -hmm. If it were to be part of NATO, then of course Russia would have think twice to invade because then the risk is that by invading Ukraine or a Ukraine, which is part of NATO, yeah. then the risk would be of actually fighting NATO um, in Ukraine. And so some 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 policymakers in in Eastern Europe have argued over the past few weeks that actually the decision that we took decades ago in the 90s and the early 2000s to join NATO was a wise decision because look uh, look what happened uh, yeah. uh, to Ukraine and 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 so in a sense they saw NATO as uh, reassurance uh, against against Russia. That was a really, really very helpful um, answer. I think that really set the tone for the general discussion. And you actually touched upon um, a lot of the questions that I do want to ask down the, that I wanted to ask down the line, which I think was really helpful because now we have sort of like a general understanding and the why we're asking those questions makes a little bit more sense. So I'm just going to try to restructure them in a way so that they're a little bit more together and they kind of make sense as per what you just spoke about so what your I, I guess it would be good first of all for the audience to understand what kind of protections NATO provides a country if they're a part of it would you be able to speak to that just for a little bit of course the 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 key the key the key point 
to to um, put emphasis on is Article 5 of the uh, North Atlantic Treaty, which is really is the basic guarantee that NATO offers to, to its member states. And the R Article 5, essentially what Article 5 states is that um, in the event of um, an attack on any of the 30 members of NATO, well, all members of NATO's are basically um, expected to provide help, to come to the help mm -hmm. of the attack party. That, of course, doesn't mean that necessarily every member state um, has to commit troops or um, intervene. But one, once the decision of invoking NATO is agreed upon by, um, of invoking Article 5 of NATO is agreed upon by all members, then all of them are compelled, in fact, to uh, provide assistance to the attack party. Right. So, so it's not entirely an automatic guarantee, mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, it's um, how to put it uh, in the current um, in the current international on the current international scene is pretty much the strong and the best guarantee that you could ever get from a political military alliance, mm. which you wouldn't necessarily otherwise be at all guaranteed at least there's some much more likelihood that you might obtain some sort of support from those other 30 countries to give you an example megan mm -hmm. for also for your listeners mm -hmm. let me briefly um draw your attention and their attention to the ANZUS treaty which has been the bedrock of australian security over the past um well since 1951 when it was established now the ANZUS treaty sometimes is seen as almost NATO-like type of guarantee provided by the United States to Australia and, and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you look the ANZUS uh, Treaty, the ANZUS Treaty is a way weaker uh, charter than NATO because the only, the only obligation that the ANZUS Treaty imposes on uh, their members, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, is pretty much in the event of an attack, the only obligations that they've got is to consult among each other according to their constitutional process. So there's no, um, how to put it to you, um, there's no straight, there's no straight, a straight mechanism, if you like, mm -hmm. legal mechanism to essentially compel these three countries, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, yep. necessarily come to each other help. In NATO, the, um, the, um, the wording of Article 5 is much stronger because the use of force is mentioned mm -hmm. uh, because the assumption that uh, all members should come to the help of the threatened party is clearly stated. And then, of course, if you look at the way then NATO has been implemented and so on and so forth, the, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty has been implemented, effectively, once 
a council of ministers, um, which regroup, of course, regroups the representatives of the 30 NATO countries, once they agreed to, um, um, to invoke Article 5, then all of them are compelled and obligated to, to um, take action. Yeah. Um, this would be also a good opportunity then to talk about how Ukraine's lack of presence within NATO might have influenced America's response to the crisis. So do you think that that would have made a difference if Ukraine was a part of NATO in general, how America responded to that situation? Uh, yes, that's a good question, Mega. Um, first, let me let me um, tell you that, um, of course, here we're dealing with with a situation that um, is extremely complex, mm-hmm. because of course, this current crisis involves a nuclear power, and that nuclear power is is Russia, and so seen from the West, from the United States, but also from the other uh, European members of NATO, as well as uh, Canada and Turkey, is that since there's no there's no NATO guarantee, since because Ukraine is not part of NATO, it would be extremely dangerous to intervene militarily in Ukraine, because of course, then you have to fight a conflict, a war with Russia. Yeah. So the United States, as all the other members of NATO have come to the conclusion that, well, we can offer military aid, economic aid to Ukraine, but since Ukraine is not part of NATO, we are not risking a war with Russia. However, if Russia decides to, for instance, to threaten Latvia, Estonia, Mm -hmm. Poland, then it's a different strategic calculation that NATO members have to make. First, they have to consider the cost of inactions. What if, for instance, Russia takes some um, take some sort of military action against Poland or Latvia. If we if NATO does not respond, what are the risks of NATO? Mm. The risk for NATO is the NATO, NATO doesn't become doesn't remain a credible alliance. On the other hand, you also have to consider the fallout of intervening, which is well, you have to escalate a conflict with with Russia. And so to cut a long story short, um, Russian actions against any of the NATO members would most likely to bring um, a response from NATO because not doing so would damage and weaken and undermine NATO credibilities. But also it would uh, involve uh, on the other hand, a direct confrontation with 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 Russia. So I think that the best the best uh, how to put it, the best selling point of NATO is the deterrent factor that 
plays into the equation because also Russia will have to think twice. Yeah. But to be honest, um, I think it's fair to say that NATO is still a credible, credible institution. So Russia would have to think twice, three times, and if in taking actions against any NATO member, but also the West has been thinking three, three, four times whether and to what extent helping Ukraine, because even now the, sh- uh, the, the shipping of military um, hardware to Ukraine could easily be construed by Russia as NATO intervening into the conflict. Although by the UN UN Charter, what NATO countries are simply doing are helping, supporting a country that has been invaded in a legitimate um, defense. And until you put troops on the ground and you're fighting the Russians face to face, you you haven't really entered the scenario where you actually enter the conflict. Right. But nonetheless, nothing could prevent the Russians to say from a political point of view, look, you've been providing, uh, for instance, different different sorts of little weapons to Ukraine. Actually, you're ready in, uh, in, in the conflict. Mm. Yeah, and I think that sort of answers one of the questions that I was going to ask about, you know, whether you think that Russia may threaten the sovereignty of any other neighboring countries. And I think that based on the conversation we've had so far, that that turns a lot on whether they're participating in NATO and whether they aren't, because that's more likely to have a lot more influence on Russia's decision, as well as the assistance that other countries are, are likely to provide countries that are being invaded. So that's the episode, guys. This episode, like I mentioned at the start, is a lot more about the Russia-Ukraine dynamic. But the next episode, we're going to be talking about how it has a sort of ripple effect on the rest of the globe. And I hope you guys return for that episode too, because it was also really cool to hear about how it will be likely affecting Australia down the line as well. See you next time, guys. And make sure to follow Unfounded on your podcast listening app. Bye.